All of us know about the great plantation houses along the James River, and I dare say most of you have visited them. Shirley, Westover, Berkeley, and others certainly ring bells. But many people, including a number of Virginians, don't know much about a plantation house in the Piedmont as great or greater than these, Prestwood. Prestwood Plantation was built at the end of the 18th century in a post-revolutionary Georgian style and is located on the bluffs above the Roanoke, Roanoke River near Clarksville. It has been spectacularly restored thanks to the tireless efforts of our speaker today. Dr. Julian Hudson earned his graduate degrees from the University of Virginia and for many years has been the executive director of the Prestwood Foundation. Over time, he has overseen the gradual restoration of this historic property by leading preservation specialists. His lecture will illustrate the material culture represented by Prestwood, beginning with Sir Peyton and Lady Jean Skipwith, and extending down four subsequent generations. Dr. Hudson's foundation, for example, has been at the leading edge in research and restoration of historic wallpaper from this period, and the examples there are spectacular. He's a consummate detective as well. If you've ever heard Julian talk about how he tracks down pieces from Prestwood, it is truly an amazing story. Thanks to his diplomatic charms, a good number of the pieces from Prestwood have been repatriated back to this plantation house where you can see them today. Last year, some of you in the crowd joined us for an overnight bus tour of historic houses in the South Side, including Prestwood. Well, Julian was the mastermind behind much of that itinerary. He was able to gain access to privately owned historic houses in the area that we otherwise would not have been able to see. So I would like to personally thank him again in this public forum for making that VHS trip such a resounding success. And I thought that after taking some VHS members to Prestwood last year, we should ask Julian to bring Prestwood to the VHS today. So please join me in welcoming Dr. Julian Hudson, who will speak to us about Prestwood, gracious living, on the American frontier, 1790 through 1830. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. <clears throat> and on behalf of my colleagues, the elected trustees of the Presswood Foundation, I thank you for the opportunity of allowing us to present Presswood to you today. Presswood is an evocative entity that has survived from the 18th century. Um, it's appropriate for you to ask, what is the Presswood legacy of objects of material culture and what does it contribute to the body of knowledge of American decorative arts? To answer that, let's briefly look at the Skipwith family. Who were they and where did they come from? <clears throat> About 900 AD. There was a Hungarian king named Giza. And Giza had lost several sons in infancy. He met a holy man by accident on the road. And the holy man told him if he would become a Christian, he would have a strong son to carry on the line. He and his wife <clears throat> went to Rome where they were duly instructed, baptized, and they returned to their native land but they were stoned by their pagan subjects. And so they had to flee to France where the king of France gave them some land in Normandy. And here they built a town and a castle 
and they called it a Stoopville to remember all of the lands and castles they had given up in Hungary for their faith. The grandson of Giza was named Robert of Stoopville, and he is listed amongst the Norman nobles who rode with William the Conqueror in 1066. In 1070, when the lands, the English lands, were divided amongst the Norman nobles, vast lands were given to Robert of Stoopville as reward for his service. And his son, <coughs> Robert of Stoopville II, married first the granddaughter of William the Conqueror, and then second, the daughter of a very wealthy Saxon thane. And with her came vast estates and a town named Skipwith. His son, inheriting all of this named Patrick, relinquished the name of Astuteville, and henceforth the family name became Skipwith, as was the custom of the age. Remained loyal to the English crown, <coughs> first created knight by, Charles, by, by James I as he made his way south to take the crown of the United Kingdom, and second created baronet by Charles I in the early days of his reign. Now this loyalty to Charles I incurred the early disfavor of Cromwell. And Sir Henry lost his three oldest sons in the initial fighting with Cromwell. His magnificent country seat, Presswood in Leicestershire, was confiscated as fines and sold to the Lord Mayor of London, and it remains in the Pack family today. The one surviving son, Sir Gray, and his sister, Diana, fled to the New World. Now, they did not arrive penniless in the New World. They settled on land their father already owned on the Rappahannock River at what today you know as Gray's Point. And there the next two generations lived. The third generation moved on to the newly chartered town of Blandford, which is Petersburg today. <clears throat> and it was at Blandford that Peyton Skipwith, who would eventually be the builder of Presswood in Mecklenburg County, grew up. As Peyton Skipwith was growing up at Blandford, there was a very wealthy Scottish merchant there named Hugh Miller. Hugh Miller had married into the aristocratic bowling family, and that marriage had produced four children. His wife died in childbirth, and he took his three youngest children back to Edinburgh, Scotland, <clears throat> as he did not like this young nation. Peyton Skipwith was sent abroad by his father in 1763 to round out his education. And while there, he went up to Scotland, called on the Miller home, whom he had known as a child, courted their oldest daughter, Anne, and when he sailed home in 65, she came with him to become his bride one month after they arrived back at Blandford. He took her to Hog Island in the James, and there that marriage quickly produced three children. She died in 1779 and is buried at Hog Island. He took his, youngest, his oldest child, Sir Gray, back to England, and entered him in uh, several boarding schools, and finally he attended Eton and Cambridge. His father, went, while after he had him situated, went up to Scotland, called on the Miller home, and their one unmarried daughter, who had been born at Blandford, 
sought passage back to the New World in the company of her brother-in-law. We see no signs of any romantic attachment in the letters that survive. But truly, something must have happened across the, that cold North Atlantic, <laughs> because by the time they reach here, they are desperately trying to find a clergyman that will marry them. <laughs> he, he takes <clears throat> this, this, this lady whom he has married has been born Jane and changed her own name to Jean. She has received the classical education in the liberated city of Edinburgh equal to any man. And Scottish women could inherit money in their own right, and she has inherited a vast fortune from her father. He takes her to Elm Hill, <clears throat> a federal farmhouse that he owns 10 miles downriver from where Presswood is today. And there, she settles in at the age of 40, and she quickly produces four living children. That's highly unusual in the 18th century. He goes upriver to this assembled package of 10,000 acres where the Dan and the Stanton come together to form the Roanoke, which flows all the way to the Albemarle Sound. And there he builds Presswood, the home for his second wife, Lady Jean. She is the architect of the house. The architecture of Presswood is not what was going on at Virginia at that time. Think of Monticello and Sabin Hall that have the small stairwells off to the side. They don't have the grand halls. Here you have the grand hall uh, reflective of architecture of 100 or 150 years earlier. And the roof line is definitely what she knew in Scotland. The house is built of stone, a sand limestone. It is not a stone you would necessarily select to build that of, but it's what was available. It's quarried right on the plantation. Now, <clears throat> throughout the construction of the house, Lady Skipworth orders objects of material culture from abroad that are not yet being produced in this country. She purchases vast quantities of Virginia 18th century furniture made in Petersburg, and then she purchases other furniture from New York and Philadelphia. They move into the house in 1795, and Sir Peyton only lives in the house nine years and a few months, and he is dead. Upon his death, an inventory is made of the house room by room, delineating the, the name of the room, the entire contents, its floor treatment, and its window treatments. We are told by Mesda and Wintertour today that that's the most complete 18th century inventory in this nation. Um, uh, Sir Peyton left everything to Lady Jean, and Presswood grew and prospered under her stewardship until her death in 1826. Now, Presswood is inherited at her death by the oldest son of the second marriage, Humberston. Humberston has already been married once to a beautiful little girl in Norfolk, Sarah Neveston, and that marriage had produced three children. She died in 1823. He moved home with his mother, and his mother dies in 1826. In, in, in 1828, he is at White Sulphur Springs, and there he meets a cousin of his who is to become the next mistress of Presswood. Now, his father, Peyton, has had a first cousin, Fulwas Skipwith, who was Mr. Jefferson's consul general to the city of Paris. 
And while there, he married a Flemish countess by whom he had three children. He fell out with James Monroe and was recalled. He brought his wife and three children to Williamsburg, and his wife hated the provincial town. He then took her to Charleston, but soon after they got to Charleston, he was asked to come and be the first governor of the newly created state of West Florida. His oldest daughter was in her 16th year, and she was courted by a much older man named Thomas Bowling Robinson of Fredericksburg origin. It was a happy marriage. Uh, they were married on her 17th birthday, and she became the first lady of the state of Louisiana. It was a happy marriage, but there were no issues. Seven years later, he comes to Virginia to see his parents in Fredericksburg, goes on to Bremo, and then from Bremo, he goes to White Sulphur. And two days later, he has typhoid and dies. His beautiful young wife back in New Orleans, the following year, comes to Virginia to meet his parents, goes on to Bremo, and then to her husband's grave at White Sulphur. And there she meets her cousin, Humberston Skipworth. Now, Dolly Madison writes a wonderful letter. And she says, who will get the prize, Lydia? Will it be the French ambassador, the governor of Virginia, or Mr. Skipworth? Pray it will not be Mr. Skipworth. Well, Mr. Skipwith got her, and probably because he had more money than all of the rest. He takes her to Presswood, and like all ladies, she redecorates the house. On top of the simple English botanically related wallpapers of first period, she puts up the great French panoramics with the deep neoclassical borders, and she incorporates the early empire furniture out of this Norfolk, Virginia, and the wonderful painted furniture from Baltimore, as well as, again, pieces from New York and Philadelphia. So we have two women, two distinct periods of American decorative arts. And Presswood remained in the Skipwith family for two additional generations, but very little happened. It was like a time capsule. The campaigns of the Civil War bypassed Presswood, but the economic changes that resulted were Presswood, unlike the, the plantations you know on Rate 5 that were uh, the yield of the land, Presswood existed on the cash flow from the docks and warehouses in Norfolk, Baltimore, and Philadelphia. And all of that was cut off. So it was a different lifestyle. To maintain the lifestyle after the Civil War, they began to sell off acreage. And eventually, by 1914, when the fourth generation sold the house, it was down to 1,000 acres. Now, the house was sold with the furniture and all of the family papers. It changed hands five times in the 20th century. And each of those five times, the people who owned it used it basically like a hunting lodge. They used it so many months out of the year. But there were many months of the year that the house was vacant. Finally, the owners had owned it in 1946 took seven trunks of family papers and donated them to the Rare Books Library at the College of William & Mary. That was about 7,000 documents. The, the furniture was then dispersed at an auction sale in the front yard. Now, this is not to say that four generations of Skipwiths or five successive owners did not take away papers and did not take a furn away furniture because they did. As libraries around this country have gone on computers, we find various repositories 
from the University of, uh, uh, of Louisiana to the Huntington Library in California to the University of Chicago to the Virginia Historical Society, all of whom have skipped with papers. There are, are today 10,643 known documents on the house. Now, it is the single most documented 18th century site in America where the Washington, Tucker, and Jefferson papers exceed the Skipwith papers in total numbers. They are politically related. Here you have a family that is not politically related whatsoever, but it is important from the socioeconomic aspect of how people live and the material culture thereof. The house was bought by a foundation in 1963. It was composed of about 40 people, most of whom were school teachers with no money. They borrowed the money to secure the place, and they were about to lose it. And along came the patron saint of Presswood, Elizabeth Jeffries Goff, uh, just uh, Goffney Jeffries, and uh, she paid off the note. She recognized the academic importance of Presswood, just as she had recognized the academic importance of Mr. Jefferson's academic village long before it became a world monument. Now, um, Presswood, we started this restoration 22 years ago, and um, we have come a long ways, we have a long ways to go. And I don't be begin to tell you that we have gleaned from the information all that is in um, uh, the, the 10,000 documents. Oftentimes, Williamsburg or Mesda will call me and ask me for a specific thing, and I will go and find that, but it doesn't mean we have gleaned all of the information. Long after, after I'm gone, academicians will go through all of those documents, and, it's, it, it, it's and the amount of wealth of information that's there is incredible. All right. This is Presswood as it looks today. If you would look at the uh, gates right here, there are only two pair of uh, plantation gates made in this country that survive, one outside of Charleston and these. Now the gates at Westover, which are very grand, are English and were shipped over. Here these were made in Petersburg and shipped to Presswood. This is the way Presswood looked in 1913 when Mr. Austin Skipwith sold the house. Um, you can see um, their windows were out and the family basically was living on this side of the house and had abandoned this side. Um, to the left here, you have the letter that Lady Jean is writing to her agent uh, in to, s to send her samples of wallpaper. She says, we wish to have our house papered, but uh, we are not best acquainted with the prices of the different sorts of paper. We defer order until some future opportunity. In the meantime, we'll thank you to send us uh, patterns of different quality papers with the price of them. We do not need to go the length of India paper, only plain English and Irish. I am very partial to papers only one color or two at most. Velvet paper, I think, looks too warm for this country. The following year, 
in the letter from her agent when the first ship comes across the North Atlantic, he's, if the last sentence in his letter to her, he says, enclosed, you will observe some patterns of paper I have obtained for your examination, the price is annexed. That's the introduction to the best documented wallpaper story in this country. The following year, she orders 13 papers for 13 rooms in the house, and they are finally shipped in 1799. This is the invoice, and every paper is listed by name with its border. Um, this paper right here, did I skip something? There it is. Um, this is the most expensive paper she bought. This was in the drawing room. It had an iridescent background, which is created by grinding glass very fine and putting it in the first layer of paint that goes on the paper. Interesting enough, this paper is one of only two papers that have been found in this nation that have this tax stamp on it, one of the things that brought about the American Revolution. And this is the tax stamp that was on the back of it. When we took this paper down, we found the tax stamp on the reverse. In the dining room, you can see first and second period. When we peeled back the French panoramic by Jacques Marc here, the chase, we found the angle leaf paper beneath it. Of course, when we took this down to ship it to Boston to wash it and rehang it, uh, there were yards and yards of this, all of which were removed and put in archives. This is the reproduction of it. And interesting to note, look at the reed and ribbon border. Um, it, it was very apparent when we took it down how this border had been installed. Both Mesda, Wintertour, and Colonial Williamsburg came there to do one-on-one mylar drawings of the installation of this border. In the governor's palace, they had put up that beautiful blue paper with the gold, gold braid, and they had come straight down here. But after the discovery of the ghost marks at Presswood on the wall, they went back and did it in the step manner. This is the reed and ribbon border that we took down. Now, we copied this in 1992 from this document that was done around 1790. But to show you that the passages of time copy from one another, here is a mosaic found at the Villa Romano in Sicily in the mosaic floor, and it is the same border from a Roman villa. Um, the bed here by Samuel White in Petersburg comes from Heffel White's Guide, page 108. You will look right uh, here. This is the uh, bed. And um, all it's, it's amazing. This bed was never converted in any way. When we got it back, the ropes were still there. Even the leather washers were still in the uh, boat. And all um, six of the finials here are original. Uh, Sir Peyton brought, brought this clock and these irons back on the ship with Jean when he brought her over. Um, this is on the invoice, this was made in Petersburg. It's called a French Sophie, S-O-P-H-Y. Actually, it's covered with a slip cover so you don't see this horrible fabric. Um, <laughs> we, <laughs> um, most federal sofas that you know 
have a bulky rail here and a very bulky arm for support. Look at the delicacy of this one. Um, it's, it's, it's most unusual in American furniture. This is Lady Jean's work table. If you will notice here, the drawer has the dividers, as women were always busy with donning, embroidering, of making something of that nature. And then uh, the writing slide with the original baize cloth on it that you pull out to, for her writing. This is probably one of my favorite pieces in the entire house. This chair, this Heppelbach uh, uh, Cabriole armchair with an upholstered shield back is a great rarity in American furniture. In English country houses, you will see six to a dozen of them in one room. It is a concept that not, did not catch on in America. Why, we don't know. There was one set made in gold and gypso in Philadelphia, and we have seen those sold individually in the New York showrooms over the last 20 years, and most uh, museums in the Northeast have at least one of them now. This is uh, plate uh, four of Heppelwhite's Guide. Um, you can see um, the design that it comes from. Uh, it is not, this was never a broken shield that was a poster. It was designed to be like this from the beginning. And in the book that Colonial Williamsburg did on their furniture, they were forced to include this chair because they didn't own one. <laughs> this wonderful pair of mirrors from Kent Luck and Kent. Imagine bringing those from London to Presswood in 1797. Look at the tobacco leaf motif. This is what tobacco looked like before the age of fertilizer and um, at the top of the column here. They are magnificent mirrors worthy of any London townhouse of the 18th century and to have gotten them to Presswood would truly have been a challenge. This is Sir Peyton's bed. You'll notice the uh, from Pepper White's Guide 104, uh, this mahogany Cornice is completely original. The, origin the glue blocks in the four corners are all original. Now, originally there was a compass rod all the way around this bed, much like you might have a shower curtain rod, where you would pull the curtains at night for warmth. In 1830, the beautiful Lelia repapers the house. And what does she do? She puts wallpaper in the top of this bed. Therefore, you cannot use the compass rod anymore. So the, the bed hangings were brought up and hung on buttons, very large buttons that you unbutton and drop down for the use. Presswood, later Skipwith, had the largest library of any woman in the New World. Where women did collect books that was used as sermons and poetry. Here you have the woman who was into horticulture, astronomy, geography, and the taboo subject of fiction. Her library, we think now, uh, was probably 2,500 or more. How are we coming up with that figure? We go to all of the existing invoices and count the, the books that were ordered, plus we count the books that we have that were, are not on uh, any of the purchase invoices. Uh, there are books here at the Virginia Historical Society. There are books at the University of Virginia. And we have somewhere now about 750 to 800 at Presswood.
The most interesting one we just got back was a first edition copy of Mr. Jefferson's Notes on Virginia, a signed Gene Skipwith Presswood. There's no doubt what belonged to her because when I opened the, she signed every book, and when you open it, there's her signature. Now, here we have her medical companion signed in the same way Jean skipped with Presswood. You must remember the mistress of the plantation was responsible for the health care of all individuals there. Here she had 700 slaves by name, plus her own family. So the medical attention to give those people was highly important. In this rare document that survives her medical companion, both on the front cover and the back, she has her own remedies in her handwriting. And this is her cookbook. On this particular page, she's talking about to pickle oysters and here to make cream cheese. So they're rare documents. In addition to the, these two, we have her musical book with her own musical scores in it. The globes are very rare. There, are, there were three pairs of globes in this country in the late 18th century that had the information on them from Captain Cook's voyage. One's owned by the Essex Institute, one by the Smithsonian, and we have the other one. Ours are packed up in acid-free paper. They are in such bad condition that we are afraid to put them out because the paper flakes off of them until they can be restored. Uh, from Philadelphia, uh, this um, Windsor chair with the carved ears, there were 36 of them at Elm Hill. When they moved upriver to Presswood, they brought them with them. Today we have two in the original paint. This is the document box for the family and the companion table, which sat by the front door in case of fire, you made the, your exit taking the family papers with you. That's a, rare doc, that's a rare thing to survive in Virginia. Uh, these presses, the walnut presses made on the plantation, there were seven of them in the house in 1913 when the house was sold. We have um, four of them back. People ask me, were they uh, linen presses? Were they china presses? What were they? I think they were presses that they used, like you use closets. They put whatever they had in a respective room in them. They have, each of them have shelves in them that may be uh, taken out, they slide in, and they all have the OJ bracket feet. Uh, the chair to my far right is most interesting. We have one at Presswood, and we don't know where the other 11 are. Sir Peyton bought them from a cabinet maker named Robert Carter in New York City in 1796. George Washington also bought purchased 12. The Mount Vernon has three. The Smithsonian has four. They don't know where the other five are. This chair was probably produced in the hundreds and shipped down to all of the port cities. Charleston got more than their share. And about the time I was a student at the University of Virginia, Charles, historic Charleston reproduced that chair and sold it as a Charleston chair. But along came a whole generation of academicians in furniture who collectively have studied this, and they are now sure that none of these chairs are Virginia chairs, none of them are South Carolina chairs. They all came from a workshop in New York by, from Robert Carter and were probably made in the hundreds and shipped down to all the port cities. But it's a fabulous chair. 
uh, Colonial Williamsburg restored it for us, and um, they were very uh, excited to find that the tack pattern around the sides of the chair rem remained visible. It had not been mutilated by reupholstery over numerous years. The bus to my left is Sir Gray. This is the little boy whose his father took to England and entered him in school. He never returned to this country. He went on to several boarding schools, to Eton and to Cambridge, and then he married quite well. He inherited an estate uh, from an uncle, from a cousin, Sir Thomas George Skipwith in England. And he and his one wife had 20 children. <laughs> so when you come down the genealogical chart from this man, you have every name in the British Empire. <laughs> Coffee did this in terracotta, and the original remained in England. Two plaster copies were made and sent over to Presswood. And when his half-sisters, the two daughters of Lady Jean and Sir Peyton, who grew up at Presswood, both married Coles, C-O-L-E-S, in Albemarle County. When they went off to Albemarle County, they both took a plaster copy to Tallwood and to Estuteville. You see, the name comes back. It was the name of the house this time. Um, Coffee comes to America seeking work in New York, then Philadelphia, and he makes his way to Virginia. Because of these two plaster copies that are in Albemarle County, Coffee gets the commission to do the Jeffersons, the Madisons, and the Monroes, the most prized presidential bus we have in this nation today. But this original, the one that created all of this, is still in England. About 12 years ago, one hot August afternoon, a little unassuming lady came up the, the road to Presswood with a brown paper bag. And in that paper bag, she had this terracotta bus and two watercolors of two of the 20 children. She said she was going to Thailand to live with her young lo lover, and she was getting rid of everything she had. <laughs> she then told me that she had some silver in a vault in London, and then when she got back to London, she would send me the silver. Well, she's still in Thailand, and I write to her constantly. <laughs> <laughs> if you will look to the far right, you will see the restored wallpaper of the saloon, and as you pass into the drawing room, we spent a million point three repointing the house and doing wallpaper. This is Humberston who inherited from his mother, Presswood. And this is his beautiful second wife, Lilia, when she was first lady of the state of Louisiana, painted in the French manner. These two wonderful archival pictures became the blueprints for putting these rooms back together. This room, this picture, um, Richard Nylander says in his book, Wallpaper in America, uh, which was printed by, uh, by the um, National Trust, he says that this, uh, in, the, in this picture, you can do, it's everything that you could, it's possible to do with technology and wallpaper. And without this, we could never have put these many repeats back as they originally were. Uh, we had this document, we found this document in the attic 
the classical dateau below under here we reproduce from what the dining room has, but the French fern leaf over here we did not have any of. And after a long search of a week in Paris at the Bibliothèque Fournay, it was found, brought back to the United States, the document was, and reproduced by Scalamandra. This is the border that was found. You can see the actual flower here, and this was reproduced by Scalamandra uh, with a, a wool-flocked background. This is the, the, the saloon after restoration. You can see the lantern in shade that's in this room. It's completely original. And it's amazing to us that it survived all the transitions the house has been through. Second period, wonderful furniture from the Anthony Quivell workshop in Philadelphia. This particular table, which is magnificent, never shows up right in the house because the, regardless of where it's put, we can never get the right light on it for you to see what beautiful craftsmanship is involved in the table. A Baltimore painted settee and a New York Gibb piano. This is Humberston's first wife. This is the beautiful Sarah Neveston, painted by Cephas Thompson. Now, Cephas Thompson had painted her mother and father, her sister and her brother. And these have been scattered about Virginia. We were the first ones to, uh, to come up with one. Now, Williamsburg told me last week that they have now, now owned the portrait that of her brother. And to the far side, you see the alabaster christening pot. Before there was an Episcopal church in southern Virginia, the bishop rode horseback once a year to Presswood. The saloon, the magnificent room I just showed you with the lantern in shade, was consecrated by the Diocese of Virginia as a house of worship his use and all the christenings were held there and this was the alabaster christening font. Now th th these same christening fonts were rather prevalent throughout the site but during the Civil War they were confiscated for utilitarian purposes and very few of them actually survived. And here's one that um, we have back. Um, the lady who had it was used it for flower arrangements. This is the dining room. The top is before restoration. You can see what a, um, how bad it was. And look into the blue sky of this beautiful scenic. Do you see that wallpaper that's bleeding through? That's Lady Skipper's first period English botanical wallpaper bleeding through. And this is after restoration. Um, the fan over the table are great rarity in the upper safe. You find them in the Mississippi Delta, but here's one that was, it works from two chains on the side of the room where two slave children would stand and fan the table. The border we did reproduce in order that you would have a visual picture of the vividness of the colors that were in the room. The fan. We've talked about first period English botanical papers, second period French panoramics, but when this fan was made in Petersburg and shipped to Presswood in the 1790s, a wallpaper had been installed on it. 
and it was an American-made wallpaper, older than any of the others I have mentioned. And here we found when we took it down in, in Boston and stripped it, on the back it was by Chardon in Philadelphia. And that was done about 1770 before the American Revolution. This paper has been reproduced, and interesting enough, this has just been installed at the Blair House in Washington. The discovery of this piece, which was sold at the sale in 1946 right here, uh, is academically very important. Most furniture experts who would look at it will tell you it was probably been made between 1825 and 1840. But here, after we got it, we found a sideboard that was signed on the back twice, and we found that we had the invoice for it. It had been made by a cabinet maker named James Woodward in Norfolk, Virginia, and sold in 1819. So that brought us to, to realize that high-style furniture was coming out of the port city of Norfolk as early as 1819. A companion piece that went with it, with the brass shoes on the feet, the lion head pulls also from the James Wood workshop. This breakfast table also from the James Wood workshop. Notice the uh, green painted uh, gilted paw feet. Uh, Fulwar, the, um, Mr. Jefferson's consul general in Paris brought back this um, French Parisian porcelain. Th this is how much we have back. There are still a few pieces of that floating around out there that I hope will come home. Over here you have a, a Lady Skipworth's first period English glass. Uh, we have all of the goblets, eight of the wine glasses, and now we have four of the decanters. Interesting enough, that was subdivided upon her death. Henceforth, five generations and we've gotten back that many pieces. Um, a very important piece of furniture in the house from the Finley workshop in Baltimore, this painted table um, with the bowl shaft, the backets here, and the Roman legs. Um, this is probably the single best piece of ba Baltimore furniture in existence. The ones that the uh, Baltimore Museum and the Maryland Historical Society have all been tampered with. Here is one that's never been to restoration. Uh, it even has the red velvet lining, and if you raise this top up, the candle wax is still in there from the 19th century. Uh, the fan that you can see over the table as it would work. Um, the, the painted uh, cornice boards from the Finley workshop in Baltimore. Notice, notice the leafy rosettes with the elongated antithium motif. This is a signature of the Finley brothers. The White House had these. The White House burned. Um, these are the only known ones. Homewood in, in Maryland has a, some Finley furniture. They do not have the invoices as Presswood do, does, but they do not have any cornice boards. The garden at Presswood was definitely a greater passion for Lady Jean than was the house itself. Um, her garden notes 
of the best documented notes in this nation from the 18th century. We have not been able to restore the garden as she had it because we can't afford to maintain it. Um, we have the plan and we, we know everything that was there, but we do have a schematic layout that we try to maintain. Um, her list, where most people that had gardens, such as Jefferson, Washington, Bartram, they were interested in everyone bringing them back the exotic from all over the world. This was not Lady Skipworth. She took an English grid and developed it with Native American plants. She had an island down in the river that she used solely for the cultivation of wildflowers. And her listing of plants and wildflowers are the best listings that survive today from the 18th century. Interesting enough, when she would bring back in her vasculum that you see in the windowsill, plants from the woods. If it was one that the greatest botanist of the day, Philip Miller, had recorded, she would enter its botanical name. But if it was one that he had not recorded, she would give it a botanical name, list all of its characteristics, and then write beside it, not in Miller's. Here was a lady who understood her, her place in the scope of time and what she was doing in this new nation. Um, most gardens that you know, especially down on Route 5, they are on axis with the house, this way looking towards the river. She, she did not put her garden there. She placed her garden here to the east of the house so that when you come up the drive, the garden makes a statement of its importance. This is the Lady Banks uh, rose on the entrance to her garden. Throughout the uh, uh, 630 feet of garden that faces the house, she used the scalloped horseshoe beds here to delineate the garden. This was a rare find. A photograph, very small, surfaced in Palo Alto, California, that had been taken about 1890. And when it was taken, it shows Lady Skipworth's first period garden gate. That is the oldest documented garden gate in the South. There is nothing older that survives. And with the help of Colonial Williamsburg and the Garden Club of Virginia, we reproduced those gates and uh, put them throughout the garden. But this design was an important find uh, here. Uh, you can see, even though it's falling apart, the, 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 the entire structure is there. This shows the tourist garden and the levels going down towards the cemetery. The cemetery where four generations are buried Everyone is buried there except um, Sir Peyton's first wife, Anne, who is buried on Hog Island. This is the summer house in the garden. This shows it when the skip was sold the place. The octagonally uh, shaped summer house. Um, it's a rare uh, entity in, uh, as a folly in American gardens. The slave house, which has received a, a surviving slave house, which has received much attention.
Colonial Williamsburg helped us a great deal, though we would never have been able to afford to save this building. You can see what was saving the building were these trees on the side. The trees were actually holding the building up. Williamsburg got an enormous grant to study agricultural buildings in the United States. They went from the Mississippi Delta to Maine, and they came back and determined that this upper half of this duplex is the oldest black housing in this country. They helped with this restoration, and then they used the plans for the reconstructed uh, slave village at Carter's Grove, which they have since sold. And you can see this is the restored building. Um, this up here is the plantation store. You see, when you had a plantation with as many as 700 slaves, you had to have an economic system within the plantation for the issuing of goods. Inside the uh, slave house, you can see the entire roof survive. All of the studs are original. You can see these two have been pieced down here where they've rotted. Um, the um, back bracket right here to hold up the mantle is original. The mantle has been replaced, but one uh, bracket there holds up. And in 1946, at the sale, a pair of slave shoes were sold. The gentleman who purchased them <coughs> kept them and returned them to me about 20 years ago. And you can see there, that's a rare survivor right there. There. I invite you to come and knock and let us share the treasures of Presswood with you. Thank you. I think the gentlemen uh, have mics now and they will uh, I will accept questions if you will hold your hand up they will come to you thank you for an absolutely delightful treasure um, I've heard about skip with all my life because my grandparents lived down the road from that but I don't know the connection. Is there any to Skipwith Road here and Prestwood and that kind of thing? Yes. Um, the builder, Sir Peyton, his, his um, grandson, uh, Gray, um, his inheritance included vast acreage in Halifax and Charlotte counties, as well as a great deal of money. And he sold all of his acreage and moved to Richmond and bought a farm on the north side called Laburnum. After a few years, he sold that and moved into town. And he built a magnificent house at the corner of Pine and Franklin. There he and his wife lived and raised their children. And the house, I have photography of it. It was much like the wonderful houses that you see about three blocks up the street that still survive that uh, VCU owns. And um, after his death, his wife and two sons sold that property to Mr. Blair, who in from over on Monument Avenue, who in turn built the Presswood Apartments. Then they moved out to what was the far west end at that time and had two farms, one on the 
west side of Perm Road, one on the east side. The, uh, the house on the west side was a magnificent structure called Archdale. It was eventually left to, to the Catholic Diocese of Virginia, and it burned in the 1960s. The other house still stands today. It's a kindergarten, um, early childhood, daycare center, but the 20th century small houses have encroached right up to it, so you don't get a visual picture of how grand the home really was. And that's where they lived, there on Skipwith Road that crosses Parham Road. And they were two um, families that contributed a lot, a lot to the life of Richmond, but they, 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 those two families ceased to be in Richmond. The descendants either died, moved away, or they just are not here. Uh, it's in Mecklenburg County, um, right near Clark. Clarksville is on the other side of the river. Presswood is on this side. I always heard that at one time, Presswood and all of its furnishings were lost in a poker game. Is that historically true? Okay. First of all, the 10,000 acres was an assembled package. And there is a, a portion of that that was William Byrd Jr.'s uh, inheritance. He did lose practically everything he owned at the card games in Williamsburg, but we can find no records to substantiate that uh, any of that Presswood, that's a myth. Uh, the lands that were William Byrd were the deeds are all recorded in the courthouse and were paid for. The land that Presswood actually stands on is land that Sir Peyton purchased from a gentleman named James Royster, who lived in Clarksville, Virginia. How much land is with the house now? Because I know there's some um, developments around it. We have 44 acres. We are very fortunate that on three sides we border the Corps of Engineers which will never be developed. The fourth side is open, does present problems, and uh, we are working on one aspect of that now. 